Did you know you are physically adapting to all your swiping, scrolling, and tapping? We're changing our bodies and what they're able to do through our habits. NPR's Body Electric, a special interactive series investigating how to fix the relationship between our tech and our health. Listen in the TED Radio Hour feed wherever you get your podcasts. From KMUW Studios and part of the NPR Podcast Network, this is Books and Whatnot. I'm Suzanne Perez, KMUW's resident book reviewer. And I'm Beth Goulet, host of KMUW's Marginalia Podcast. This episode was recorded on Friday, November 17th, 2023. Any references to new or forthcoming and the like are relative. Hey, Beth, how are you? I'm well. How are you, Suzanne? I'm doing well. You know, we had a a great episode last time talking about all the great books we read. And this episode, we have a very special guest coming up. You want to tell folks about that? Well, we're recording this on the 17th. And on the 14th, so just three days ago, we were able to have a conversation, the two of us together, with Andrew Limbong. He is the host of NPR Book of the Day. And we spoke with him about NPR's Books We Love, which is formerly known as Book Concierge. They're not going to, we're not going to let them get away with changing it. But it will always be Book Concierge to us. Yeah, but as I mentioned, we spoke with him on the 14th. We're recording this on the 17th. Books We Love will come out, will be dropped, will be available on Monday the 20th. And hopefully, knock on simulated wood grain... This, you're listening to this beginning Tuesday, November 21st. So basically, whenever you are hearing this uh, podcast episode that we are recording right now, Books We Love will be out. Correct. And it is one of the best things. If you're not familiar with it, uh, we'll get into it all later in this episode about what it is and, and how you can use it. But, you know, Andrew Limbong, we were talking about all of the various categories that you can can look up using Books We Love. And here's what he had to say. We have rather long and rather short, and I'm always going to the rather short ones if I'm just like, I want to knock out a book (laughs) and it's not going to take me three months to do. And so I quite like the rather short tag to uh, find, you know, achievable goals uh, for, for the new year. And I am all about achievable goals, Beth. (laughs) Right? Especially this this time of year. (laughs) Yes, that's what these last two months of the year are all about. So it's probably good timing that Books We Love is coming out when it does, because you go right to that rather short category and and you're gold. (laughs) Juicing our stats, as we like to say. Um, I have a reading goal of 75 books this year. And, How does um, that compare to last year? uh, More. My goal was 52 books last year, obviously one a week. And I made it, but only because I finished a book on New Year's Eve. Oh, wow. I kid you not. Yeah, it was that close. But um, I just, I set my sights high and my, you know, coming out of COVID, like during the COVID year, my reading was just way off. I know that happened to a lot of people, but now it's rebounded. And, you know, having a review that I need to do every week doesn't <laughs> hurt either. Deadlines. Yeah. So anyway, so my re- my reading goal this year is 75 books. I am on track. Oh, very good. So, yeah. How about you? How's it going? I have kept detailed notes of every book I've read since 2004. I know. You are spreadsheet mama. Except I failed this year. I don't know the last time I updated that form. So you could recreate it, though, right? You could go back. I would think so. Using your, well, obviously looking at the Marginalia episodes and our podcast. Yeah. It's like live journaling. I just need to go back and do that. But I know you're probably... Probably as many or more than I have read, I'm guessing. 
Yes, it has to be. I don't know. Not about that it's that. a contest. It's not a contest. It's, it is a contest. <laughs> um, I will. I will update us for the December podcast. Yeah, How's that? perfect. Okay. Perfect. Because we'll uh, next episode in December we'll start talking about the Read ICT Challenge and how how we've done on that this year and what looking forward to next year. So lots of exciting stuff happening. But so we're going to go over real quick just our our current reads, what we've been reading lately, and then we'll get into that deep dive with Andrew Limbong. So Beth, would you like to go? first, what what, uh, book do you want to bring today? Well, the first book I want to talk about today is called The House of Doors by Tan Tuang Eng. And this book is a reimagining of W. Somerset Maugham. And, you know, it's, it's looking at part of his life. He is known for getting source material from people who he already knew or met in his travels. And then he would turn these stories into his own stories and novels and sometimes not even change the name of the people (laughs) who were like characters in the you know the original story so that's not plagiarism (laughs) um (laughs) it's inspired by it's a thin line yeah i guess so inspired Um, by yeah but this this book is set in the early 20th century and it focuses on a time when malm stayed with friends in penang and this is when he gleaned the story behind his story, The Letter. And so um, Tan Tuaneng was really infatuated with that letter and wanted to do a deep dive into how that letter might have come about because it was a story about um, a murder. And what I found fascinating, you know, I spoke to um, Tuan about this book and I asked, since this is a re-engineering of how Malm's work came to be, if we go back and read Malm's work after reading this, is it going to change the way we interpret his work? And this is what he had to say. Well, I hope so, because uh, I I see the letter and the House of Doors as uh, a pair of mirrors uh, reflecting each other. So if you've read the House of Doors first and then you go out and read the letter, it will affect your perception of the letter. And in in return, it would also affect how you thought about the House of Doors, and it goes back and forth, back and forth. So the slightest change in the, the angle would change everything again. Uh, and the, the effect I'm hoping to achieve is that in the end, the reader doesn't know which came first, which what is true and what is, what is fictional. Uh, just so uh, that that's the uh, effect I was I was trying to achieve. It kind of throws what he has written in the past into question. Wow. Based on just somebody reimagining it. Very so, cool. I don't know. It was fun. The House of Doors by Tan Tuan Eng. And that episode of Marginalia is online, right? Yeah. It is. Okay. Yes. All right. Well, my first book that I'm bringing today is The Vulnerables by Sigrid Nunez. And so this is a, a novel. It's a, a pretty recent novel. It came out uh, in October, I believe. Um it's a pandemic novel, and these are becoming very, very common these days because when the early days of the COVID pandemic were happening in the spring of 2020, well, like the spring of 2020 through the spring of 21, there were a whole lot of writers out there doing a whole lot of writing about what was going on, and mm-hmm. Sigrid Nunez was one of them. Um, this is a, a very short very readable, accessible novel. Now, she won the National Book Award a few years back for her previous novel, The Friend, um, which was about a person uh, dealing with grief and loss and finding 
solace and comfort and companionship with a dog. Well, this time there's another animal in this novel, but it is a bird. It's Mm -hmm. a macaw. So this essential plot, such as it is, is uh, this woman, a nameless narrator again, who we can only assume is much like Sigrid Nunez herself, finds herself with, you know, nothing really to do during the early days of the pandemic. So she house sits for a friend of a friend of a friend whose macaw needs to be watched daily. And anyway, so she goes to this person's very luxurious apartment in Manhattan and says, okay, well, this isn't such a bad gig. And then things happen. A college-age young man who had been watching the bird in the past and kind of left in sort of an emergency situation comes back. There is, you know, some debate with the friend of a friend about who's going to watch this bird. They end up being quarantined together. So she's quarantined with a stranger. She's, you know... With this bird, she's talking about everything the bird can do and talking to her. She's walking around Manhattan. The descriptions of early pandemic life really brought back memories to me. You don't realize how far we are from that mm-hmm. moment until you're reading about it in, you know, in retrospect, in hindsight. Um, just all the desolateness of everything, the abandoned storefronts and all of that going on. It really sort of had uh, almost a memoir feel to it. It is a novel, so but it just kept, it was all these little observations of life. It was just sort of essay-like um, with all of these, you know, just kind of random characters plopped in. I really enjoyed it. It was a wonderful read. Are you planning to read this? I have started it. Uh-huh. I'm, I'm visiting with her next Tuesday, oh. actually the day that this comes out. And so I'm barely started with it. But what I like about it, it, it does feel like she's just kind of taking notes because she'll say something and then she'll say, who said that? I'll have to look that up later. And then she'll insert it. And I don't know. I'm, I, you know, like I said, I'm barely started. Yeah, but you, you did uh, make comparisons to Day's work. I did. Which is a very good comparison and was also a pandemic novel but it has like this you know sort of journaling quality Mm -hmm. to it which I appreciate and it's also very funny in parts so anyway that was The Vulnerables by Sigrid Nunez. Okay I read one kind of in anticipation for Halloween I don't remember what day Halloween fell on this year. You were saying you don't do spooky reads but you do. Halloween was on like a Monday or Tuesday or something. Okay, then I think this was, I, I think this episode dropped on that day. Okay. It was, um, it's titled Vampires of El Norte by Isabel Cañas. And it was a mashup of genres because the monster that it looks at is the vampire. But it's not the vampire in how we think of, you know, the traditional Count Chocula, Count <laughs> Dracula, <laughs> Count. And Frankenberry. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Dracula. <laughs> <laughs> well, even the Sesame Street one. What is that one? Oh, the Count. Yeah. One, one <laughs> wonderful. Yes. <laughs> so these um, these vampires were not human. They were all animal. They sometimes they walked on four legs. Oh. Um, they were they were weaponized. This is set during the um, Mexican American War in 1846 in Texas. That was part of Mexico at the time. And so these vampires were weaponized by the Yankees, and it was just, it was kind of a fascinating thing. But the mashup was history, horror, and romance. 
Oh. Right? Wow. Yeah. So, I, you know, it's, as I said, it was set in 1846. It follows Nina and Nestor, who are childhood sweethearts separated by a tragedy. Um, he thinks she was killed by one of these vampires and leaves, and then nine years later returns to help fight this war and realizes she's still alive. And so, you know, you have that oh, yeah. that drama. You know, when I spoke with Isabel Cañas and I asked her, like, who does she follow for inspiration? And she she listed a lot of, you know, romantic authors. Interesting. Like, yeah, like Allie Hazelwood and Emily Henry. Oh, I like mean, modern, like contemporary yes, romances. Yeah. But she, she, her twist is that she does set them in historical times and that she, you know, brings in some monsters. So, yes, yeah, so it's a gothic, maybe, gothic Perhaps. romance. You know, I was just hearing in a, a different podcast, the Well Read podcast recently, that they were talking about new trends or re current trends in literature and Diverse horror was one of them. Oh. You know, Mexican Gothic and, all, you know, all of the, um, basically there's just, and even like the, some of the stuff that Jordan Peele is doing, mm. um, it's really having a moment right now. And yeah, this is a good example of it. Yeah. So that is Vampires of El Norte by Isabel Cañas. All right. Well, my next one is not one book, but I thought I'd bring sort of a bunch of middle grade novels that I've been reading lately. And I did a book review recently talking about some of the middle grade. And, and for, for those of you adults out there who don't know what middle grade means, yes, I mean novels that are designed for like eight to 12 year olds, um, the chapter books of your youth. Um, after you got past the picture books, there's these middle grade novels, not exactly YA. Um, so I talked about some of the middle grade novels that were nominated for the National Book Award for Young People's Literature, and I read uh, many of them and some others. I don't know. I was just in sort of a middle grade mood. Um, it doesn't hurt that I was toward the end of the year and trying to get some <laughs> quick reading done, but I, I love middle grade novels anyway. I did end up reading A First Time for Everything by Dan Santat, who who did win the award. Um, oh, the awards nice. were announced this week, and he won the award for Young People's Literature. That is a graphic memoir of his trip to Europe as a middle schooler. It was delightful. Hmm. There was some, it was sort of mixed media. There were some photographs and some, it, it's a uh, just a really funny story about, you know, being in middle school. We all can remember that sort of awkwardness. He has a crush on a girl. They're on this European trip together. He has his first sip of beer in Germany. Just really, really great. Uh, highly recommended. That's a first time for everything by Dan Santet. I also read Remember Us by Jacqueline Woodson. Uh, Jacqueline Woodson wrote Brown Girl Dreaming. She also is a winner of the National Book Award for Young People's Literature. This is a novel, but it was inspired by her childhood in Brooklyn. And it's about a girl named Sage who uh, loves to play basketball. And it's during the 1970s in Brooklyn when all these random fires are happening. A lot of Turns out a lot of landlords were burning, trying to burn their buildings down for insurance money, but uh, they called the place the Matchbox, and it's inspired by that sort of time. Um, these were a lot of families living in poverty, but finding, you know, comfort in each other, and uh, that was another great one. Uh, Jacqueline Woodson's writing is just so poetic. Um, this is not a book in verse. But it was very, like, very short chapters, very readable. I also read uh, Huda F. Cares. <laughs> I love that title so much. That's H-U-D-A, Huda F. Cares by Huda Fami. 
And this was also sort of a graphic memoir about um, Huda Fami's family trip to Disney World and dealing with their Muslim faith during that and sort of being in a place. They were coming from Michigan where they were in a, a community where there were a lot of Muslims and there was a lot of, you know, just people stopping to pray when they needed to pray. And they're at Disney World doing this and they sort of have a different experience. Mm. That was really, really interesting. And then Gather by Kenneth Caddo. And this is a real, it sort of has uh, Where the Red Fern Grows vibes to it. Uh, young man and his uh, canine companion sort of getting through life, but also very, very modern because he's dealing with a mother that is struggling with addiction. So, I mean, just all of these, Beth, were so great in their mm. own way. I think it's great to read uh, middle grade books. Um, I, I tend to try to do it. There's a sort of an unofficial middle grade march on Bookstagram that I try to do. I didn't really do that this year, so I'm making up for it now. But those were <laughs> some just some middle grade novels I've enjoyed recently. Very nice. Okay, so the next one I'm going to talk about is called Again and Again by Jonathan Evison. And we've talked about my conversations with Evison before because these days he's best known as the author of Lawn Boy, which, which has been, go ahead. I'm sorry, which is one of the most challenged books. Yes. In America. <laughs> yeah, or people who like to read one particular passage in yes. it at school board meetings. Yes. But yes. He was also the author of The Revised Fundamentals of Caregiving, which was turned into a movie, I believe, that had Paul Rudd. But Jonathan Evison um, has been a caregiver in his life, and that also became evident in this book again and again. So this novel follows Eugene. He is a man living in an assisted living facility who swears he has lived over a 1,000 years. <laughs> he, and he, maybe he did. He continues to be reincarnated. But he always remembers his past lives. His memory is not erased. So it's one soul that travels from person to person. It's not always a man. Sometimes he's a young girl, or one time he was a princess. One time he lived as Oscar Wilde's cat, Whiskers. Oh, my gosh. And, and he so remembers all these existences. He remembers them. Okay. And so Eugene is nearing the end of his current life, and he strikes up an unexpected bond with Angel, who is the you know, like the nursing assistant in this assisted living facility. And that's kind of where the caregiving compassion comes in that Evison knows about so well from his own life. And so he, this Angel, this gentleman, shows Eugene a sense of kindness and empathy that he's not used to. And so it's it's an unlikely friendship, and through, you know, Evison kind of goes back and forth with time. Well, he'll he'll talk about this Eugene's very first life and remembering that um, he'll have passages in there where the soul is the cat and we get it from the cat's <laughs> perspective. But he he like creates this partnership with the reader that we have to believe it or not. I mean, oh. this is where this unreliable narrator comes in, and it, it I don't know. It was it was such a fun read. And, you know, I, I like his writing style as well. So it's very literary. But this was, I, it's a good one. I, I would give it a shot. It's, okay. It's titled Again and Again by Jonathan Evison. Ah, that's going right onto my TBR. That sounds like something I would enjoy. There you go. I love that sort of weird time structure too. Yeah. So my next one is one that I DNF'd, uh, Beth, because I think it's, uh, and DNF uh, means did not finish. 
Um, I think it's important that we talk about those types of books, too, uh, lest people think that I finish every book I start. (laughs) (laughs) So um, this is Rouge by Mona Awad. I got about 35 to 40 percent into this book. I was listening to it on audio. The premise really spoke to me. It was um, kind of a a gothic fairy tale, but twisted. Uh, the cover, it was around Halloween when I was reading it, and the cover has like a, a rose that's kind of an upside down red jellyfish, and it just looks incredibly intriguing. And and really, and the writing was fantastic. So, so basically, it was a, it's about this dress shop clerk. Her mother dies unexpectedly, and then she's sent um, down this path in pursuit of uh, youth and beauty. Her mother was heavily into this skincare regime, and there are almost like cult-like sort of qualities to it. Uh, Belle, oh, oh, and the the narrator's name is Belle. (laughs) So lest we think, yeah, I mean, the the fairy tale princess um, connections are very, very evident. Uh, But she finds herself back in Southern California. She's dealing with her mother's death. And it sort of takes off from there where she has these really weird experiences. And it reads like a fever dream. So I just sort of got lost in it. I just don't think I was in the right mindset for it. I Mm. feel like uh, it sort of had this really, uh, the beginning was fantastic. And I was like, oh, I wanted to know what happens next. It had a really slow middle. And sometimes that really loses me. And I just want to tell readers (laughs) out there any listeners, that it is totally okay to, you know, put a book aside, uh, whether it's just for now or forever. I don't know that I'll ever come back to it, but maybe, you know, something will speak to me down the road where I just want to come back to this. So it wasn't like anything to do necessarily with Mona Awad's writing. It just had, by the time I got to like that sort of 35, 40% in, I just wanted out. So I stopped reading. That was Rouge by Mona Awad. You know, I spoke with her about yes, Bunny. Yes, about Bunny, and I still want to read Bunny. Yeah. I've heard great things about it. Well, and what I think is fascinating about Rouge is when I spoke with her, we, we talked about, you know, all of her education. She went to Brown. She went to the University of Edinburgh. She went to, I think she got her Ph.D. from the University of Denver. The subject of her dissertation was fear in the fairy tale. Oh, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And that this, I mean, I think... Yeah, that that is definitely sort of a new or, a, or an up and coming genre too, and I, people who enjoy those books would definitely enjoy this. It just it just kind of lost me, and that's okay. Okay, that's okay. That's okay. I if I have to list every book I started and didn't finish, <laughs> yeah, it would feel like true confession. I know. I, I feel mm. like people need to know that though, because I I know some people who feel bad giving up a book and then you're stuck. But then sometimes I fin- I don't finish it because I had to move on for something oh, else. It's right. There's no fault of the book's own. Exactly. And there are many many reasons we could right. DNF books, okay. and that's that's yeah definitely worth clarifying. Okay. All right. My last book that I'm going to talk about today is called Day by Michael Cunningham. And he is probably best known for his Pulitzer Prize winning novel, The Hours, which it follows three generations of women who are affected by the classic novel, Mrs. Dalloway. Mm -hmm. And in this new novel, Day, it follows one family on one day, April 5th, but on that same day, for three consecutive years. So 2019, 2020, and 2021. Pandemic. In 2019, it was, you know, 
what happened in the morning in 2020 it was set in the afternoon and then in 2021 it was set in the evening so oh. you even still when you put them all together you have one day oh, right oh how cool yeah. i love a structure like that but he wanted this to be about a family about characters he wanted the story to not be about the pandemic but he had to make sure he included the pandemic because he said it would be like writing a, a story in London in the 40s and not mentioning the Blitz. Mm -hmm. So he had to acknowledge it, but not once do the words virus, COVID, or pandemic appear. Oh, my god! You do hear, like in 2020, you hear the sirens outside because this is set in Brooklyn. You hear the sirens all the time. They refer to it without referring to it. Oh, that's very cool. And it's... It, I'm sorry. It's so neat to think about how different writers are approaching the pandemic. Mm -hmm. I think that will be a good study sometime. Oh, true. You very know, just true. this very this specific point in history and how different writers like, you know, dealt with it. Yeah. Gosh. Anyway, it was it was an amazing novel. It was an amazing conversation. I loved visiting with him. Truth be told, I was very afraid to speak to Michael Why? Cunningham. I don't know. Oh, you're a big I deal, don't Beth. Know. You need to just it was toot the, that horn. And it was the it was just the most lovely conversation. Good. Yeah. I'm, I like when that's the yeah <laughs> when you're you were not nervous and then uh, it's it's not a good thing and that you're you nervous end it with oh, a crush. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So that's Day by Michael Cunningham. All right. All right, my last one is Hell If We Don't Change Our Ways by Brittany Means. Um, this is a memoir written by a 20-something. Wow. It, uh, what does she have to remember? Uh, well, a <laughs> lot, as it turns out. I apologize. Uh, that was rude. A lot. <laughs> but one would think, hey, you know, Britney Spears, this is not the Britney Spears memoir. This <laughs> is the, the Britney, yeah, this is the Britney Means memoir. Um, this, okay, it, it got, it came onto my radar purely through Libro FM. Uh, this was one of the, the, um, Libro FM, you know, sort of plugs different books through the month and, uh, the title sort of spoke to me and I just kind of started listening with no, ex because it's a memoir of, by a 20 something, I had very low expectations. I was sucked in immediately. Wow. It is so fantastic. Then I really did some looking around on it. It got a starred review from Kirkus. Okay. I mean, it's not anything to, to sneeze at. So I'm, I I apologize to 20-somethings that I had <laughs> low expectations. <laughs> who, um, who, who narrated? Did uh, she? she did. Okay. Yes. And she has a very childlike voice, too. She okay. has a, it's, um, yeah, that kind of grew on me. Okay, so to be fair, this is the way my mind works. You said a 20-something, and I was thinking a 20-year-old. No, she's like 29. Okay. She's closer. That, I think there I is a little bit of a difference look, there. I probably need to look that up. I'm pretty sure she's yeah in her late okay. 20s now. Um, this has, if anyone out there has read Educated or Glass Castle, mm. definitely, definitely in that genre of memoir, she had a very difficult childhood. Um Mother struggling with addiction, poverty, homelessness, general instability. Um, in fact, the title um, comes from it's, it's explained very early in the in the book. She talks about how she's so constantly in the passenger seat with her mom, you know, just going to the next place and the next place. They slept in the car a lot. Um, and at one point she asks her mom where they're going and her mom responds, hell, if we don't change our ways. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of where that comes from. But in the same way 
that glass castle the glass castle struck me this does too where she she relates it in such a fair <laughs> nuanced but completely objective and loving way she loved her mother she knew her mother was dealing with very difficult stuff and she just it's she had a very interesting take on all these really really difficult situations that she went through I could see this memoir appealing to so many people now it is I will warn you it is a very difficult read Mm. if you there are multiple trigger warnings there's abuse there's neglect there's she she has an experience with evangelical Christian culture through her grandparents that she lives with for quite some time, this Pentecostal um, sort of experience. Her life is just a real blur, but she tells it in such a vivid and intriguing way. She also has this wonderful relationship with her little brother. It is, despite its painfulness, it turns out very hopeful. It really shows again the importance of having those certain adults in your life who fi- who can get you out of things. You know, the counselor who says you need to go to college, you know, the, you know, the relative who's, you know, a safe place to stay when you need that. So it is just another, again, uh, just a fantastically written, wonderfully told story. Uh, as difficult as it is, I can see it um, I can see it appealing to a lot of readers. That's Hell If We Don't Change Our Ways by Brittany Means. Okay, very good. So as I mentioned at the top of the show, Suzanne and I had a conversation with Andrew Limbong about NPR's Books We Love, which will be out by the time you hear this. And um, we just wanted to share that with you. All so, right, here it is. Here it is. We are joined today by Andrew Limbong, who is host of NPR's Book of the Day. But we're here to talk about Books We Love, which is a wonderful thing that NPR puts out every year. And our listeners have heard us talk about this for years. We, I mean, we still lament that it's no longer called Book Concierge. But whenever we talk about Books We Love, I mean, be prepared to hear Suzanne break into song because it's the most this is what she wonderful does. time <laughs> of the year. So tell us, tell our listeners who have not been suffering through us hearing about this tell us more about books we love what is this andrew okay so it's like an annual thing we do i think it's like over a decade now that we've been doing it it's a compendium of all the books um not to be redundant but all the books that we've loved uh throughout the years it's no shots at other people who make like best book lists or whatever like the 10 best books of the year um but i think this is a much more democratic platform to recommend. It's more of a, like a book recommendation platform vehicle than it is like a a a word from on high upon like the 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 nine best books that you should be reading. And so I think this year we've got more than three fifty titles, um, and we've tagged them from various tags from like historical fiction to seriously great writing, um, you know, to YA uh, stuff from like sci fi, fantasy, speculative fiction, stuff like that. Um, that you can then cross-reference and filter all of those tags to really whittle down the list because, you know, 350 is a huge number. Um, so if you are buying, trying to pick a book for yourself or a book for a loved one, um, the tags really help, you know, narrow that thing down to, you know, a couple books. And then you just 
you know, pick whichever cover looks the nicest. <laughs> yeah, that's the, <laughs> that's a, definitely a quality we look for sometimes. Um, but yeah, yeah, it is. You're right, Andrew. It is list season. You're you know, our listeners. Oh boy, yeah, there is, is anybody who loves books either just loves this time of year because everybody, anybody who reads puts out their best ten books of the year. But like you said, this is different, isn't it? And it's searchable, right? Yes, yes, it it, it is extremely searchable. Um, you know, there's different ways you can view the platform, either like, like I said, with the covers or just lists. Um, and then you can just like scroll down and, and figure out which ones you want. And so, yeah, I, I'm on it right now. I'm just like scrolling around through. <laughs> so if I want to pick like a staff pick that is uh, historical fiction, that is uh, funny, um, I'm getting a Heaven and Earth Grocery Store by James McBride. Ah, and so, yes. you know, there you go. Perfect. So do you come up with new categories every year? Or, or um, do you ever add new categories? And what are some categories that you're most excited about? Yeah, it is. It is. Like I said, we've been doing this for over a decade, um, you know, and, you know, shout out to the rest of the team that works on this. The, the, the list is ever an ever evolving work in progress. Some of them have been around for a while. Some of them are like relatively new. Um, my my personal favorite ones. Um, I like the, the seriously great writing tag. Um, I'm more of like a like a lit thick kind of guy. I don't love that term, but you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. uh, and that's more my cup of tea. And so those books tend to be um, the stuff I read. I the, We have rather long and rather short. And I'm always going to the rather short ones if I'm just like, I want to knock out a book <laughs> and it's not going to take me three months to do. And so I quite like the rather short tag to uh, find, you know, achievable goals uh, for, for the new year. Um, and you know, the, the really popular one for, for that gets used a lot is the staff picks tag, um, because people, uh, like to know what the folks in the building have been reading. And what's nice about the staff picks is that it's not just like reporters, editors, it's literally from all across the building. I think I remember submitting, uh, like a, a staff pick blurb when I was, but a lowly, uh, PA, you know, <laughs> <laughs> in the building. And so you get a get a really comprehensive view of what NPR staff are really reading. That's great. You know, and speaking of comprehensive, we got a little sneak peek at some of your categories here. And one that caught my attention was going deep on super specific topics. And there's a book on here. I'm just I got to read the title. Ice from mixed drinks to skating rinks, a cool history <laughs> of a hot commodity. Now, Amy Brady wrote a book about this, and it's going to be interesting to someone. And that's what I love about books we love. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and like those, these are just, I was sending like big trend pieces, there were trend lines of just like looking through the vast expanse. And I did notice there, there's a lot of books on the list that are those like, pick a thing that you didn't know that you wanted to read 350 pages on and like, there you go. Um, like the one I'm probably going to cop from my partner this, uh, you know, this holiday season is the book Pockets, an intimate history on how we things keep things close by Hannah Carlson. It's just a book about pockets. And like, you know, I've I've tried on her pants and like put my hands in her pockets and I'm being like, whoa, these are fake pockets, bro. What are you talking? What's going on? What is this scourge of fake pockets going on in women's fashion? Um, and so I imagine the book will point out, be like, yeah, it's a because of a bunch of messed up reasons in American, you know, throughout history. Um, so you did mention that one of the categories is staff picks and that people can look to see what um, some of the NPR staff has recommended. And we are always excited because in the past, anyway, we've always um, been able to look to books we love because some of our coverage is listed in there. I mean, I've, I interview mm -hmm. 50 plus authors a year, Suzanne reviews that many books. 
And so do you know if you will also have links to content from other stations, from member stations throughout the country? Yes. Sorry, I don't mean to. I know. I, I'm, <laughs> yeah, I'm a, I hate Yay. one word to answer as much as you do, but yes, they're they usually <laughs> they're usually in there. Um, and particularly because like you, you know, the the member stations are great at like spotting writers who um are popping in in their their respective cities, um, but for whatever reason don't ele elevate to like the national conversation or whatever. And then when, but like until you know they don't start popping until like October, right? But by the time like the sort of publishing hype cycle sort of like runs its runs its course and then so now yeah i think it is it is incumbent on us to like look at the member stations the the interviews you guys do for coverage for those types of books and catch us when we slip in you know what i mean <laughs> <laughs> that's so, so so comprehensive that's what it's it's great about it <laughs> What what is a good way that either individual readers or or like book clubs can can use books we love to you know sort of guide their reading um, well, it's funny you say that because there's a tag called Book Club Ideas. Oh, is that right? Um, and so, <laughs> and so you you know you could just use that. Um, I personally, for like individual readers, the the thing I, I really love about it is that it collects all the books we've loved projects. So it, this thing goes back into like 2013, it looks like. And so um, sometimes I don't, you know, I'm I'm not a big hardcover person. I'm a big soft cover paperback type person, and so I don't really in my personal, you know, life, I'm not trying to read like the latest hardcover. So yeah, I'll, I'll just go to 2018, right? And then you go from there, pick out like 2018. Like I said, rather short. Um, I'm in the mood for some funny stuff or, you know, a book about music or something like that. And then it'll give me whatever it gives me. Just a re really great for mood readers. Like you said, if you're wanting a, yeah, just a light, bright thing or or you, or a darker topic, you can really. Yeah, you search, can really vibe out. Search by feeling. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Now, Andrew, we hear you on segments on NPR and on Pop Culture Happy Hour. But tell us about your podcast, NPR Book of the Day. So this is a a compendium of all the book interviews the hosts uh, at NPR do. And then we pick out some of the best ones from the week and highlight them. Um, and, and what I really like about them is I, I'm sure you guys know about just like the churn of the daily news cycle. Right. And sometimes a, a book interview will will get a hit on ATC and then that'll be that'll be it. But it's like a really good interview and you really want people to just like pay attention to it. And so the book of the day platform is a way for us to showcase like, hey, like you like books. You maybe you didn't catch this on ATC on Tuesday. Here is this interview with so and so that I think is like worthwhile and worth for you listening to. Great. Everyone should subscribe to that as well. <laughs> yeah, um, like and subscribe, you know. What <laughs> what what have you been reading lately and, and how, if any, uh has has podcasting changed your your reading? Actually, as much as you talk about books, has it changed your reading any? I mean, my the the spreadsheet that I have of my TBR pile is bleh, bananas. You have it you know, in the spreadsheet. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so, oh, people take their logging very seriously right here. Um, so I've been I've been trying to read. I've been trying to look ahead. A bunch of the stuff I'm reading is like you know for planning for future coverage, like up you know through March or whatever. Um, and so. And and yeah, it, it's you know sometimes it's a bummer that I don't get to read like the classics as much as as much as I I would want to. Um, but you know there there's worse things in life than having to read books. No kidding, we agree. But yeah, that backlist, trying to get to the backlist, is always the always the challenge yeah. for us now. Well, NPR's Andrew Limbong, thank you so much for joining us. NPR's Books We Love is out now. Thanks, y'all. 
Oh my gosh, that was so fun to it talk really with was. him. Yeah. Um, I really hope everyone has a chance to check out Books We Love. It is, give yourself a couple hours <laughs> if you go online to look at it because it will suck you in and it's so enjoyable. Enjoy it, everyone. How do you approach Books We Love? When it first comes out, how do you attack it? Oh, goodness. I sort of scroll through the whole thing and look, I mean, because it shows the covers. I love that, that it really shows the book covers. Mm -hmm. Um, I go to staff picks first, I think. For the NPR staff picks? Yes. Okay. And just because I'm always intrigued by, and, you know, and he mentioned, you know, that it's not just the book reviewers, it's everyone on their staff. So they're they're very varied. But I always, you know, just like I go to those um, shelf talkers in a independent bookstore. I like to see a book that's really. It seems like a hand sell. Yeah. From from someone who's our, who's read it and says this is a goodie. Um, I go through and I look for our coverage. Oh well, that <laughs> ding ding ding. <laughs> of course, yes. It is interesting to note um, how often they they use that. But now that now that I'm doing more reviews, maybe there'll be more. It's hard to tell because it's it's kind of a crapshoot what they what they choose and what they don't. But you've talked to a lot of authors and this you've year. Reviewed a lot of books. That's true. That's true. It is just it's a great time to sift through that. If you're in a book club, by all means, definitely definitely check out those book club ideas. My Book clubs in the past have gone uh, book club and rather short. (laughs) That's our sweet spot. Um, But yeah. Yeah. If you see one on there and you you want to see if we've read it, send us an email, podcasts at kmuw.org. That's with an S, podcasts at kmuw.org. Um, ask us if we've read it. If we have an opinion, we'll give you our opinion. Yes. I'm, I'm good about that. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> All right. Well, that sounds like a good place to stop. Okay. Um, until next time. Keep turning those pages. Bye, Beth. Bye. Books and Whatnot is a production of KMUW Wichita. Our team of engineers, producers, editors, and hosts are Mark Statzer, Torin Anderson, Haley Krausen, Jonathan Huber, Luann Stevens, Carly Cooper, Beth Golay, and Suzanne Perez. You can reach us by email sent to podcasts at kmuw.org, on Twitter at Books and Whatnot, and on Instagram, books underscore and underscore whatnot. Find more conversations and a list of books discussed in this episode at kmuw.org.